Welcome, everyone. And I'm surprised I still have a voice here on this Sunday night uh, as we are here for BAMS Radio to review the University of Alabama's improbable, unbelievable comeback over Kirby Freeze. I mean, smart in the SEC championship game as Alabama comes back from a 28 to 14 deficit to beat the Georgia Bulldogs 35 to 28 in a game that would that really needs to be made into a movie as Jalen Hurts has rewritten the ending to his time at Alabama and gone down as a legend coming off the bench in the latter part of the fourth quarter to go seven of nine and engineer 21 points, or uh, excuse me, I should say 14, Tua Tungvaluwa did throw his only touchdown pass to, to uh, Jalen Waddell, who had a great game in his own right, but engineer 14 big points for the University of Alabama to win. 35 to 28. I'm here as always with the producer extraordinaire, Thomas Watts, the wizard behind the curtain, co-host and producer of this show, and our third amigo, former national champion in 1992 and from 89 to 93, a key member of the University of Alabama Crimson Tide under coach Gene Stallings, and that is William Redfish Barger. William, what an unbelievable game last night. I mean, I've been watching Alabama football for 30 plus years. You played the game, you put on the uniform. But that may have been the most improbable comeback I've ever seen from an Alabama football team. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's it's uh, I guess you know two games in a row now against Georgia. It's uh, you know they've come out and kind of played Alabama off their feet. Um, you know, the offense was you know I don't think ever got um, in a groove in the first half. The defense looked totally unprepared. Um, you know, Georgia was running the football; they were passing the football. Um, but again, just like the last game, they go in at halftime, you know, make some adjustments. Um, you know, the defense played lights out in the second half. Um, you, know, you know, the offense was kind of on again, off again. I thought, the, you know, that was a huge, huge um, deflation moment for me, um, you know, when they got that first series in the second half and went three and out and, and just, you know, just did not look in rhythm at all. Uh, you know, and Alabama had a lot of, uh, you know, adversity to overcome in that game. You know, they lost uh, Deontay Brown, the starting left guard. Um, you know, they, they lost to a Tonga Vailoa, and, you know, guys came in and, you know, kind of lifted themselves up and their injured teammates and then got the job done. I mean, it was an unbelievable game, probably one of my all-time favorite, um, you know, Alabama football games, just more so for the reason – that, you know, I, I've been a Jalen Hurts fan since the day the kid stepped on campus, hell, actually going back to when he was a junior in high school. And uh, I always knew that he had this in him, uh, take the take the hat off to Dan Eno. So that was one of the, you know, the coolest moments to me um, in, the, in the waning moments of the fourth quarter when, you know, Jalen rolled out, probably could have taken off and picked up a few yards. But threw the ball out of bounds over Irv Smith's head, and you see Dan Enos over on the sideline clapping, telling him that he did a good job. Um, yeah, I think, you know, in my opinion at least, um, I think Dan Enos is probably the unsung hero, um, you know, of this season. Um, the job that he's done with all the quarterbacks um, and the impact he's had on that offense has been unbelievable. Um, you know, uh, proving himself to be. I think he already had earned it, but certainly proved this year that he is a true quarterback whisperer. And, um, you know, what you saw last night was a team win. Um, you, you know, the, the defense didn't get any help from the offense in the first half. I think, you know, aside from, you know, Georgia doing some unique things and some ununique things. I mean, they, you know, were throwing passes out of the backfield to the running backs, throwing the ball to the tight end, which Alabama has always struggled with under Nick Saban. But um, I didn't expect to see um, Georgia, you know, be able to impose their will on Alabama's front seven running the football, and they did do that. I do think they were aided by, you know, so many three and outs. You know, I thought last night, especially in the first half, was kind of the inverse of the Clemson game two years ago. Um, you, you know, the offense, you know, couldn't get any – um, first downs, couldn't move the chains, couldn't keep the defense rested, and, and you saw that play out in the first half um, in an ugly manner. But, man, they they got their act together at halftime. I mean, the defense had six straight stops. Um, you saw Jalen come in and, like you said, uh, leave a lasting impression and a permanent imprint um, on the Alabama football program. He'll now have his own uh, uh, Daniel Moore print, I think, going forward. And, uh 
you know, it just was a great team win. Um, I saw a stat today um, that made me chuckle a little bit because I, I know none of the three of us are, are big Kirby Smart fans, but in the last two games, Kirby Smart has either led or been tied versus Alabama out of 120 minutes of the game, he's led or been tied in 119 of those. And, um, you know, Alabama's been able to deliver the the dagger and the knockout punch. And um, we'll get into a lot of the other, you know, um, specific stuff going forward. But, you know, just all you can do is, is just sit back and, you know, revel in how just, you know, Nick Saban gets these kids to buy into the process, trust the process, and good things will end up happening. And I think that's probably the difference. Um, between the Alabama football program and the Georgia program right now is Alabama's kids have been taught and trusted and know how to finish things. And you can tell, um, you know, Georgia's always been, and their players have always kind of been a byproduct of that underachieving program, but they've always been front runners. And anytime some adversity hits them, um, you really see them struggle to fight through that and, and, and continue down the track. They tend to, um, I, I don't want to say quit. That's not the right word, but they just don't know how to react. And um, you saw that play out on a big stage last night. But a wonderful football game, I thought, um, for three and a half quarters by both teams. Um, you, know, you saw some things play out there in the latter half of the first quarter, fourth quarter, excuse me, that we'll get into. But you know, just a great team win. I'm so you know thankful that they've got the next three and a half weeks to rest up and you know, focus on final exams. You know, guys like Jalen Hurts are fixing to get their degrees in a week and a half. And, um, you know, you'll get to see guys like Deontay Brown get healed up and some of the other guys that are nicked up. But just, you know, such a team win. You know, you saw Quinn and Williams come up with, I think, eight tackles, a sack, and two tackles for a loss. You know, my guy that I pegged early in the season as a future star going forward, uh, LeBron Ray chipped in on two, you know, a, a second sack two weeks in a row. He had one against Auburn. You know, Anthony Jennings really stepped it up and was imposing his will on Isaiah Wilson in the latter part of the fourth quarter. Um, again, you know, uh, Jared Maiden uh, certainly making amends there in the second half for his targeting penalty against Auburn two weeks ago. So can't say enough good things about the team and, and certainly the coaching staff, the adjustments that they made. Um, at halftime, I think, certainly made up for how unprepared and, and outplayed they were in the first two quarters. Yeah, and William, I wanted to ask you about that. I, I was a little surprised Jalen Hurts wasn't MVP. I guess a lot of the voting took place before the very end of the game uh, because I know he only did it in half a quarter, but he made all the big plays uh, to win that game. Of course, uh, the uh, the best pass of his career to Jerry Judy where he threads the needle, made all these plays five of five on third down, uh, Tua Valo, who'd been money on that all year, 0 for 6. Uh, and then, of course, he, he has the game-winning touchdown run from 15 yards out. I was a little surprised at that, though. I mean, I did pick Josh Jacobs before the game to be MVP. You know, happy about that. But I think everyone knows Jalen Hurts was the real MVP of this game and had a moment that uh, he, he very well deserves because he's the anti-Kelly Bryant. I mean, Kelly Bryant could have at least – he could have asked a red shirt but stayed with his team, but he bailed on everybody – He's been, uh, you know, very public and visiting other schools and trying to transfer. Luckily, Clemson is still going to be in the playoff. But Jalen Hurts, it's one of the all-time stories that he stuck together with his team. And it was uh, really kind of storybook-esque that he was able to get this kind of opportunity and take advantage of it the way he did. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's we, we've talked about it on this show. I mean, I've tried to educate the listeners of, of just – well, what a special relationship Nick Saban has with Jalen Hurts and how much he thinks of him. You saw how choked up he got talking about him immediately after the game. Um, you, you just don't see um, that type of commitment and loyalty um, in today's college football game. You already mentioned, you know, Kelly Bryant. Um, you know, there's already some guys at other schools. I saw earlier where Rashawn Gary is not going to participate in Michigan's bowl game. Of course. Um, so you you know, you, you just don't see this type of um, commitment and, and staying power out of most of these, you know, high-level players. I mean, they, you know, they get the transfer bug and they start thinking about themselves. And, and look, I don't know what Jalen Hurts' future is. Um, you know, I suspect he's probably going to transfer out and go somewhere else. But what a wonderful and educated decision he made for himself this year to 
not only stick around and be loyal to his teammates, but to make the decision and recognize that you know, he may have had the, the best quarterback teacher in college football to study under. You know, certainly the competition, um, you know, with Tua, I think, helped up his game. But um, it, it was really just a great thing to see, and I'm so happy for, uh, you know, Jalen. And not, not just Jalen, but the whole team. Uh, right. They, they all had to, um, you know, chip in there at the end and, and make those drives happen in the fourth quarter and, you know, try and erase some of the stuff that had gone wrong in the first half. And, you know, it was a great team win. I mean, I – have we ever gone through a game this season where both of us made all five extra points? I mean, Woo! I was I was holding my breath on every one of those. Hey, uh, hey, I thought yeah. Veneer, I thought Veneer, you know, chipped in with a solid, uh, you know, performance punting the ball. And you know, again, um, you know, maybe by you know the end of the next, hopefully, two football games, you know, you, you might have another debate. I mean, you know, this time last year we were talking about Tua versus Jalen. Um, you know, by the time the national championship game hopefully comes and goes, there, there might be a burning debate between Jalen Waddle and Jerry Judy, which one's the best wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I and I made a statement and got took some heat for it on Twitter before the season that I said, by the end of the season, Jalen Waddle would be the best receiver on this team. And he had the best game of his career uh, against uh, George on the biggest stage. I mean, the 51-yard catch and run from Tua – was unbelievable. I mean, he outruns angles. I mean, he's so fast, so explosive, William. Uh, he really and he was really the only receiver in this game that for four quarters played winning football because they just yeah because because for the first time I think we saw this receiver group uh, have a lot of drops in a game. Well, and the, you know the the plays that you described from from Jalen Waddle is is what I you know talked about last Sunday on the show that I thought would be the difference in this game is, you know, Tua and those wide receivers indoors, out of the elements on a dry, extremely fast surface, and it just never materialized between, you know, Tua's struggles with accuracy. Um, you know, that's certainly something that, that I think Dan Enos is going to spend a lot of time working with him on in the offseason, man. This, you know, this loop-de-loop shit in the pocket um, when he's, you know, all he had to do was the same thing that Jake Fromm did last night. If it's not there, dump it off to one of your five-star running backs, let them pick up five trash yards, and, and, and you know, go on to the next play. Um, I think, you know, trying to make something out of nothing, certainly there's a time and a place for it, but, you know, you just can't do it every time you drop back and what you want isn't there. There's, there's a lot to be said for, for checking down. And, uh, you know, it was an uncharacteristic bad game from Tua last night. Unfortunately, it was – on a big stage and the biggest game of the year so far. Um, you know, we'll see how that plays out with the Heisman Trophy race. But, uh, again, I think you see, and I certainly don't remember, um, you know, anything like this, you know, since I've been following college football closely since the mid-'80s, um, where we saw the flip script. I mean, the, the script flipped um, Well, inside of one calendar year where, you know, the starting quarterback 11 months ago, um, you, you know, was, 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 you know, struggling and had a terrible first half. You saw Tua get inserted back in January. I really thought Tua should have been benched before he finally got knocked out of the game. I, I felt like he was one of the main reasons why the offense wasn't clicking. You know, obviously the receivers dropping the ball uh, uncharacteristically didn't help matters either. But um, I just thought that it was kind of like Jalen in the fourth quarter against Auburn last year. I thought he had done everything that he could. He wasn't going to take him any further. But luckily for the team and Alabama fans, it ended up having a happy ending. Yeah, it did. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, and <laughs> what do you think was the key for Georgia finally rattling to We We haven't seen him rattle like that in a while. Of course, I think the drop by Irv Smith early kind of just snowballed everything because that's when everyone started dropping the football. You saw Jerry Judy – you saw rugs. You just saw guys uh, playing uncharacteristically poorly because the one to Irv, it would have at least been a big play, maybe 50, 60-yard play uh, into, into deep into uh, Georgia territory, but perhaps would have even been a touchdown. It was a great throw, but it all just kind of started snowballing after that. And, uh, we just, and, of course, two had already thrown an interception by that point as well because any other time Alabama probably cashes in that drive. But I also thought, you know, though Mike Loxley's done a really good job for the majority of this season, that Alabama wasn't patient enough with the running game last night. William, what's your thoughts on that? 
No, I agree. Um, you, you know, you saw at times Alabama was able to gash Georgia. I mean, if you and, and really and truly, I was shocked um, late last night looking at the stats. I mean, it sure seemed like you know Georgia gained a lot more than 150 yards uh, rushing the football. I, mean, I guess 90 percent of that must have been in the first half. But um, you know, I thought Alabama they ran well on Georgia in the second half in the national championship game last year. You know, in spurts they did it. Um, last night, um, you know, one of the things that I saw was, you know, Alabama's interior offensive line was struggling mightily last night. I mean, Alex Leatherwood, um, you know, got exposed over and over again, you know, on, on consecutive plays. Um, you know, when they were trying to run the ball to the left side, he failed to engage and, and chip the three-technique defensive tackle to even give, you know, Jedrick Wills a snowball's chance of taking that block over. Um, before Leatherwood moved up to the next level to try and put a hat on the linebacker. So, um, you know, there, there was a lot of stuff that I think that went into it. You know, certainly you got to give credit to, to Mel Tucker for, you know, coming up with a scheme that did frustrate um, Tua and, and, you know, kind of, I think, got Mike Loxley off of his game a little bit. I agree with you. I thought they abandoned the run a little bit too soon and, uh, you know, you know went, went five wide way too much. Um but again, it's it's all you know, um, you know, in the record books now. Alabama won the football game. They won it in a dramatic fashion, and and I think you know made a statement there in the fourth quarter, um, both defensively and offensively, with the way they, um, you know, because you saw Georgia would get some momentum. They would pick up a few first downs here and there, but then that defense would really, you know, kind of tighten up and. Um, you know, they did some nice things to kind of fluster and frustrate Jake Fromm in the second half. And I think you have to put some, you know, some of the blame on Kirby Smart for, or Jim Chaney, you know, whoever you want to blame the, point the finger at. I thought they did the same thing um, in the second half this year that they did um, back in January. Um, you know, where, where was DeAndre Swift in the second half in the same fashion that where was Sonny Michelle um, in the second half in the national championship game? you kind of saw them go into a shell offensively and really not utilize, you know, their playmakers. You know, I would have never have guessed that Jake Fromm would have been as efficient um, and not get rattled. Um, I thought his offensive line did a very good job of keeping a clean pocket for him through three quarters. Uh, but, you know, you got to give your hat, you know, tip your hat to that guy, man. He's a, he's a warrior. He's a player. And, um, you know, I thought Kirby Smart kind of showed that, for whatever reason, um, he didn't trust Jake Fromm last night to, to, you know, to throw the ball down the field once they got that 14-point lead. And, you know, that kind of played right into Tosh LaFoy and Alabama's defensive hand. They were able to cinch that run game down and, you know, kind of flip the script on them a little bit. So um, there's so many different little, you know, mini storylines that went into that win last night. We could sit here and talk all night about them. Yeah, we really could. And uh, and uh, I'm going to let Thomas uh... – you know, ask you this question about the most pathetic choke job call that I think we've ever seen in coaching. I mean, I've seen some bad calls and some mystifying ones, but this one is at the top of the list. And to me, it shows two straight years. Once Kirby and his coaching staff got caught by Alabama after leading the entire game, they they just absolutely just uh, choked on applesauce and just uh, just froze up. But, Thomas, I know you want to ask William about what, to me, is one of the dumbest coaching decisions that I've ever seen made by a head football coach. You're right, Drew, and we talked about this little pre-show, so that this is a planned question, I promise, to our listeners. But uh, you watch that game, you watch that play call, and – to me, it personally came off, and Kirby Smart even doubled down on this in his post-game press conference, that Kirby Smart didn't have any faith in his defense being able to stop Alabama from scoring game-winning points. So, you know, we saw what happened, the 4th and 11 thing. I mean, Alabama was in punt safe. Why Kirby Smart wasn't getting his all-SEC in the late 90s DB on charging down the line for a timeout is still mystifying. But, you know, my question to you, William, is how does this play going forward? You know, talking about how do players react to a coach's flagrant lack of faith in their ability to close out a big game? 
Well, you know, I think first of all, if you look at it, you know, from from the the standpoint that you know Kirby's been a defensive coordinator, um, he's a defensive minded guy. You know, if it had been Gus Malzahn or um, you know Lincoln Riley or, or one of these, you know, I'm going to outscore you in a track meet type of guys. Um, but you know, that's not who they are. That's not their identity. And then again, I thought it was really a a poorly designed play. I mean, did you really think you were going to sneak number one out there who's never on the punt protection team and nobody was going to notice? And then once they did notice, like you said, that's the time to say, hey, um, you know, maybe you sit there and, and, and go through with it until less than five seconds and hope Alabama jumps off sides. But you saw they had transitioned into defensive safe mode. Um, they had left the starting defense out there. Uh, didn't even have anybody back deep. They were covering the wide, you know, the gunners as wide receivers. But you know, I, I just can't even fathom a, a defensive-minded coach who, you know, has already basically um, said, you know, we're not a hurry-up, no-huddle spread, going to outscore you. I mean, that's a pro-style ground-and-pound offense. In what universe do you think it's a good idea? Um, to give the other team the ball first and 10 on the 50-yard line. I guess maybe you could say, well, with Jalen Hurts struggling to throw the ball, you know, the last year, uh, you know, maybe you go out there and, and gamble and say, well, you know, they can't, they can't make a 45-yard field goal. Um, that, that is kind of a high percentage, you know, speculation and guess right there based on how the season has played out. But still, you know, the, the coaching 101 move 99% of the time, is to kick the football, especially from the 50. You know, you try and pin them inside the 20-yard line. You know, make them go, you know, 70 or 80 yards. You know Alabama's not going to kick a field goal with that little bit of time left. It's four-down territory. And you make them go 80 or 70 yards to try and get a touchdown. And, I mean, this is going to be something that's going to leave a skid mark on, um, you know, Kirby Smart's tenure at Georgia, um, you know, you already had some guys, I think, you know, Justin Fields being one of them that probably had some, uh, you know, transfer thoughts on the forefront of their mind. He was very evasive last night when asked about that. And I can assure you, um, you know, getting thrown under the bus for poor execution and not snapping the ball when you're supposed to by the head coach isn't going to give that guy a lot of warm and fuzzies to want to hang around and stay. So uh, I think, you know, now, now you've got, you know, the Georgia program going into, you know, the, the final push here before December the 15th with the early signing period and recruiting. Uh, Mel Tucker's jumping shift and taking the head coaching job at Colorado. Um, I doubt you see Kirby Smart name a full-time defensive coordinator um, until after their bowl game. And because, uh, you know, he's not going to have time to really interview people um, with recruiting going on and, uh you know, with them getting, you know, bowl prep going. And this could this could leave a mark on, you know, what possibly could have been a strong push for Alabama as far as Georgia ended up with the number one class this year. There's some guys on the fence with, with Georgia. And, you know, I think a lot of those guys, you know, the number one wide receiver in the country, Hazelwood, I think a lot of these people have kind of been sitting back waiting to see what Justin Fields is going to do. So, um, you know, I don't think Kirby Smart did anything to help himself. Um, you know, the guy's done a great job recruiting and getting talent there. But, you know, it's, it's interesting to me, you know, here we are at the end of the regular season in year three of Kirby Smart's tenure, and he has got one more win and one less loss than Mark Rick did after his first three years. Um, and, you know, that's, that's something that the Georgia faithful didn't think was good enough. It's one of the reasons why they made the change. And, I also think it's worth noting that when you saw that that all that talk yesterday, and especially after the game, a lot of the you know the talking heads on on ESPN and other sports networks, you know, were saying that, that Georgia deserved a spot in the playoff because of the way that they played Alabama. Well, if they had been undefeated going into that game, they probably would have gotten that opportunity, but because of that twenty point loss to a very average LSU team who they're a lot more talented than, you know, that automatically eliminated them right there. So right. I think this is going to be, guys, a, a tale of two programs heading into the month of December and, and beyond even into January towards, you know, the regular national signing day. 
I think you're going to see a lot of criticism um, from, and he's already getting a lot of criticism from his own fan base for that fourth down call. And like, like we talked about at the top of the show, you know, the lack of second half adjustments and not responding to what Alabama adjusted to, you know, then the, you know, very, very, um, in my opinion, disingenuous and disrespectful um, post-game press conference where he refused to name Coach Saban by name um, or the Alabama program. I mean, you know, let, let's don't forget, man, um, you know, 12, 15 years ago, you know, you, you were coaching running backs at Valdosta State. Uh, you know, Nick Saban made you. And, you know, I just thought that was a very, very big slap in the face, um, the way he handled that whole thing. Um, you know, Nick Saban made the statement for you if you'd have just kept your mouth shut and been, been patient. Um, I can assure you behind closed doors, Nick Saban's not scared to play anybody again. But, you know, he, he threw the compliment out there to his, um, you know, former defensive coordinator and said, yeah, you know, we, we really don't want to play those guys again, which I think we all know is bullshit. But, um I just think, man, this was a, you know, a guy that's starting to show some signs that, you know, maybe this guy isn't capable of running, you know, one of the top five programs in the country. Yeah, I mean, it's great to uh, keep getting to the promised land every year, but when you lose the game in the fashion that he does two two times in a row in less than 12 months, um, you know, that was the narrative coming off of the national championship game last year after Tua's performance was, ah, you know, another top recruiting class. He's fixing to catch and pass Saban in the talent pool. Um, but, you know, I think we've seen at least in the last two matchups and also in, in, in you know, the, the one game every year that he's had in, in the first three years where he gets beat by 20-plus points, um, you know, by, by the likes of, of uh, you know, teams that aren't as talented as he is on paper. Um, you're starting to see some chinks in the Kirby Smart armor and – you know, before we go forward and turn it back over to Drew and Thomas, I want to go ahead and say, um, two years ago, my nickname for Kirby Smart was fourth in Kirby. Excuse me, third in Kirby. Um, after the national championship game, it was second in Kirby. Now I'm going to transition into it after the fake punt call last night. His new nickname for the 2019 season, until he rectifies it, will now be known as fourth in Kirby. Yeah, it certainly will, and. And what Kirby Smart said in the post game was absolutely deplorable, uh, calling him the coach on the other sideline. Well, that guy owns your ass right now, Kirby Smart. So you can go to your go to bed each night knowing that he owns you. It doesn't matter if you out coach him for three and a half quarters, and you did probably really the last two years, and or at least for a half in the national championship game. This time it was three and a half quarters, but you can't finish the drill because you freeze up, my friend. And so you're going to have to live with it for 365 more days. They're going to the Sugar Bowl to play Texas. And as I've said today on social media, perhaps he can just have Herschel Walker be the the uh, honorary game captain and, uh, and uh, let him go out there and wear his 1980 Georgia National Championship shirt because they're going to continue to have to watch those VHS tapes and the DVDs and watch Alabama compete for a national championship, something they're not going to do because they couldn't finish. And that's all I'll say because Kirby Smart, I was happy as hell for him when he went to Georgia. I thought he'd been patient, got his dream job. He did a great job at Alabama. But since that period of time, he has been nothing but a maggot and a piece of trash in the way he's uh, treated the guy that made his career. And I'm just glad that it's karma that he's choked like he has the last two years. Keep saying maybe next year. But guess what? You better just hope the guy retires within a few years because until he does, he's probably going to continue to own your ass for the rest of your career. So that's all I got to say about Kirby. But, I mean, I thought their team played hard. I thought Jake Fromm had played a hell of a game, but they couldn't finish the drill. And it was because of Jalen Hurts picking up his teammates and because I thought Tosh Lupoy and the defensive coaches made some outstanding adjustments uh, in the second half. I didn't think they were aggressive enough in the first half, but certainly in the second half, they finally started slowing Georgia down, uh, no doubt about it. But uh, I also wanted to ask you, William, uh, you know, about these injuries. Once again, when Cornbread Deontay Brown went out, we saw the running game kind of grind to a halt. Luckily, he's going to have three and a half weeks to get healthy from this turf toe. But, but again, yet again, Lester Cotton goes in there, gets a big penalty, and they just really uh, were inconsistent in their ability to be able to run the football after Deontay Brown went out. 
Yeah, they were. And, and like I said, I mean, this is a, a perfect time. Um, you know, Nick's going to give them some time off. You know, they'll they'll have to, you know, lift weights. And I'm sure they'll start watching film on Oklahoma. But they're, they're going to get a chance to focus on, focus on final exams. You know, get a chance to spend, um, you know, a little bit of time away from football, recharge their batteries, both mentally and physically, which they need both at this stage of the season. And, um, you know, I think you'll see a lot of this stuff you know, kind of take care of itself. I think, um, you know, cornbread will be ready to go um, by the end of the month versus Oklahoma. Um, you know, I think Tua's rehab, um, you know, will be a little bit more, um, more more of a guessing game, I guess, so to speak. Um, we don't really know, I guess, after two and a half, three weeks if Jalen Hurts was 100%. I don't even know if he was 100% last night. He sure looked like it, but I don't know. Um so I think that's the one thing you have to kind of guard against um, is, is you know, how that, that ankle is going to heal. But certainly, um, whether he's ready or not, I think certainly the coaching staff feels uh, certainly bolstered by Jalen Hurts' um, performance, not, not just in the laning moments of the fourth quarter last night. I think Jalen has performed at a high level um, when he's come in all year long. I mean, he showed that he's improved as a passer. I think he's much more comfortable in this offense than he was in Brian Dayball's offense. Um, I, like I said, we, we talked about this before. You know, last year when, when I think, you know, things went south and he was struggling, um, you know, he would look over to the sideline for some coaching and some guidance, and Dayball had his face buried in his call sheet. You know, there, there was nobody over there, you know, like Eno saying, good job, you know, nice job throwing the ball away, take what's there, if not, sling it into the stands. And to me, that's the biggest difference in this offense this year versus last year's. You know, those guys have a designated coach for their position. And, you know, regardless of what happens with Mike Loxley, if he gets a head coaching job, um, I, I, I expect Dan Enos to get promoted um, to, to be in the next offensive coordinator. And I also think he'll retain the title of quarterback's coach. And, you know, you'll see Nick Saban make a move to go out and get uh, you know, somebody else. I mean, does he go out and hire a second offensive line coach? Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he plays, um, you know, that vacancy if, in fact, it, it comes to fruition with Michael Oxley getting a head coaching job. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. He's supposed to interview with Maryland, and then uh, we've uh, we've already heard reports about Dan Enos be, being linked to interviewing at Tennessee. Uh, that came out today, and then uh, Pete Golding with Oklahoma and Ole Miss. I can't – if I'm hearing Pete Golding is not going to Oklahoma, and if he's not going to Oklahoma, he's not going to Ole Miss. I can assure you of that. Um, Dan Enos, I don't think he does anything until he waits to see, waits to see what Mike Loxley does. We'll see if he goes to Maryland because uh, I know Lox had some issues previously with the AD, Damon Evans. So that's going to be interesting things to, to look at. And, of course, Pete Golding, you're playing against Oklahoma. He's – he, he's definitely not going to go to o, and take a job at OU before playing against the University of Alabama. But I, I've been hearing that he's going to stay and eventually succeed uh, Tosh Lupoy. So uh, we'll see about that. Uh, you know, Tosh probably is being expected to stay one more year. Uh, I'm going to be interested, William, to see what Kirby Smart does as defensive coordinator. Does he go get Kevin Shearer off of Jeremy Pruitt's staff, who was with him previously? Uh, I don't believe he'd have no chance of getting Tosh Lupoy away from Alabama. I just wonder uh, who uh, who, uh, who uh, Kirby would hire. Uh, Shearer seems logical because he was, uh, you know, previously on that staff. But of course, uh, we would see it. We will. We'd have to see because I know Jeremy Pruitt goes all the way back with him to their Hoover days. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting and, and also a very stressful decision for for Kirby. I mean. You know, I think if Tucker had stayed one more year, you probably would see, you know, Kirby make the move much in the same way that Nick Saban did with Tosh Lapoy. Um, I think he would probably make the move with, with one of their ace recruiters and their inside linebacker coach, Glenn Schumann. But I don't know if, if he's quite ready to pull that trigger, um, you know, with, with such a young guy who's never been a defensive coordinator before at this stage in the game. Um, you know, could you could you see him do the the same thing that you know Jeremy Pruitt's done with Kevin Shearer, give Schumann the title? Because there's going to be a lot of people, um, you know, coming after Schumann with his recruiting prowess and then how he's proven to be a very effective inside linebackers coach. 
you know, you, like you said, I mean, if, if Kirby Smart goes up and, you know, draws Kevin Shear um, back to Georgia to be his D.C., you could see them flip-flop, uh, you know, linebacker coaches. You could see Kirby scoop up Glenn Schumann, um, you know, since he is, in fact, the de facto defensive coordinator right now for Tennessee. So, you know, a lot of this stuff, you know, I think is going to have to wait and play out until after the ball games are over with. I don't expect to see anything done, um, you know, in the month of December. I'd be surprised if it is. Uh, but what what really is going to be interesting to see is, you know, over the next, you know, two and a half, almost, well, yeah, two and a half weeks is is watching, you know, with, with the practice behind them, with the players taking time off, you're fixing to see Nick Saban and his staff hit the recruiting trail. Um, there, there's been several interesting things there, kind of uh, break in the latter part of the week with some key guys. And uh, so now you're fixing to see the in-home visit start. And, uh, yeah, I think Nick Saban's fixing to really shake up, um, you know, the, the, the tree, so to speak, in college football with how he's going to finish this 2019 class off. Before we ask Thomas about – uh, the bowl game uh, in the Orange Bowl in Miami against Oklahoma. And just initial thoughts on that, William. What 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 has been going on in recruiting? Kind of update the listeners on what you what you think may be going on. Well, I mean, I don't think anything's really changed. You know, with with Alabama's you know expected you know top targets that we we talked about this time last week. I mean, I think they're still expected to get you know the five star tandem teammates from IMG and Trey Sanders and Evan Neal. Um, I think they're in the driver's seat for N'Kobe Dean. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people kind of scratched their heads um, earlier this week when uh, you know, Alabama took Christian Harris, flipped him from, from Texas A&M. Um, but for what I'm understanding and what I'm hearing, um, that take will not have any impact on N'Kobe Dean or Henry Tototo, um, the elite linebacker from California. They're still planning on taking both of those guys. And, you know, I think probably the most intriguing thing that kind of happened um, late Friday is a lot of the Oregon State moderators who had had a high level of confidence um, in, in Mario Cristobal landing, who some people think is the number one player in the country, and certainly Alabama is wanting to add, um, you know, one more player at this position uh, to finish this class off. But, They've kind of, you know, as of late Friday night, started waving the white flag on KV on Thibodeau. And, uh, the, the, you know, the word is out on the West Coast, they don't feel confident in him coming to Oregon anymore. You know, with the, with the shit show that's going on at USC, a lot of people out there on the West Coast think that Alabama has moved back into the driver's seat to land Thibodeau. So uh, I'm sure Tosh LaFloy is, is planning on going out there this week to do an in-home. Um, you know, I think they'll probably wait until the following week to take Coach Saban out there. I think he's scheduled um, to announce somewhere between the 10th and the 15th. I can't remember the, the specific date. Um, I don't buy into, you know, head-to-head matchup wins or losses, you know, having an impact on a recruit's final decision. I think that's more of a, you know, decision that's probably already been made, you know, the comfort level with the position coach, the teammates. But, you know, we're, you know, just a couple of weeks away from finding out what the, the five-star offensive lineman from in-state here in Alabama, Clay Webb's going to do. So it, it's fixing to be a real, real busy month. You know, Nicobe Dean's going to do something in the next couple of weeks officially. So um, I think there's going to see a lot of movement and a lot of commits pop here in the next couple of weeks, Drew. No doubt about it. And then now – we're going to bring Thomas Watts into the conversation. Thomas, your initial thoughts on Alabama matching up with Kyler Murray, who I think is probably going to win the Heisman Trophy now uh, because of Tua's struggles on Saturday night. Well, to address that, I, I agree with you. And uh, maybe that's a little bit of extra motivation for this Alabama Crimson Tide football team going up against what is now, I think, going to be the Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, now, let's talk about the game itself. If you look at, and I haven't done all of my statistical insanity yet, but I've been trying to pull together numbers throughout the day. Oklahoma's offense is historically good. They are historically efficient. They average the most yards per play that college football has ever seen. I think it's 8.76 yards per play. So essentially, Oklahoma's averaging almost a first down every time they 
they run an offensive play. And as good as Alabama's defense has been, through, particularly since the bye week heading into the LSU game, I don't think it's realistic to assume that Alabama will do anything better than holding Oklahoma to roughly five yards per play. That will translate into Oklahoma being able to score at a pretty good clip. But the thing is, if, if, if fans watched the Georgia-Oklahoma game last year, this Oklahoma defense is worse. By most statistical measures that I've seen, they're in the orbit of the Arkansas Razorbacks defense, statistically. You know, the 2-10 and ten team that Alabama hung 65 on and could have hung, you know, 100 on, that's the defense that this Crimson Tide offense is looking at right now in ter- going into the December 29th matchup. Now, it's hard to draw conclusions beyond that because realize that Tua Tonga-Vailoa is having surgery and Alabama does have some nagging injuries that has to heal up. You know, Alabama, if you look at their schedule, they have played a very difficult schedule and it's been physically demanding. If you look at how conferences are aligned in some of the advanced metrics, the SEC is almost lapping the field in several in several serious statistical categories. So Alabama has been ground down by that. Now, having said all of that, let's let's make an assumption to kind of move the conversation forward. Let's assume that Tua Tonga-Vailoa is at 95% going into this Oklahoma game. And let's further assume that Kyler Murray does win the Heisman Trophy. The line right now opened at Alabama by 14. The over-under is set at 79.5, which means essentially Vegas thinks Alabama will win something in the order of like 47 to 33. That's what the Vegas models are projecting. I actually think that's kind of low. I think that with the assumptions that I've previously stated, there's no way Oklahoma holds Alabama under 50. And I, as good as the Oklahoma offense is, and you know, it's not just Kyler Murray that's been having a great season. The Oklahoma offensive line is excellent. But, you know, the Georgia offensive line has graded out very highly in a lot of those grading sites, and Quinnen Williams was able to do damage. You know, how the interior of that Oklahoma line, you know, holds up is a serious question, because when you talk about what Quinnen Williams does to a game plan, he single-handedly destroyed LSU. You know, Garrett, if Garrett, Garrett Brumfield, you know, is never going to want to see the number 92 again, or he's going to go into, like, you know, cold sweats— the Missouri game was the same. You know, you can go down the line for what guys like Quinnen Williams were able to do. So I just don't think that Oklahoma, as good as their offense is, is going to be able to keep pace because Alabama's offense is at least in a similar orbit to this Oklahoma offense. But Alabama's defense is so, so very much better that you know, it's it's just such a horrible mismatch in terms of what teams are bringing in that sense. And, you know, you you talk about raw talent that is coming onto this field when Oklahoma matches up with Alabama. And the Big 12 is really having a dearth, or, and particularly this year, the Big 12 has a dearth of truly good linemen and line play, except Oklahoma to a certain extent. But we've seen Alabama be able to do some things and even, you know, to make the picture even a little more rosy for Alabama fans, give Nick Saban a month to prepare for a team and let Alabama get healthy. And I would argue that Alabama is unbeatable this year. I think that Alabama is going to win this going away now. I, I don't want to get into this because I'd like to get your takes on it, Drew and William. But talking about the other semifinal game, when I saw that line, I turned and ran. Because there are some things in that Clemson-Notre Dame game that are very interesting from a statistical standpoint. But anyway, what did y'all think about the uh, the cotton – not the cotton bowl, the orange bowl that Alabama is competing in in a few weeks? My bad. Sorry, guys. It's okay. I, I was, you were I, muted. I was, it happens. I, I was muted. Uh, but what I was going to say is I I just I think Alabama's going to score 60 on Oklahoma. I don't think Oklahoma will make Alabama punt the football. 
if Alabama has the kind of plan, I think they will. I think Tua will be fine. I think he will play. I think he will play better. Uh, you know, I and I think Jalen will play a role in the game. I don't think it'll be script as far as just like uh, scripted unless it's some some uh, gadget plays like they used. And of course, people were bitching about him coming in for the two plays against Georgia, but really. The second play had no, he I mean he was a non-factor. He, it is not his fault that Henry Ruggs dropped the fucking football. Okay, they were just not executing very well. But I do think that they will they will use both quarterbacks. I think it'll be to his show though. I think he will light Oklahoma up. I think Oklahoma will score points. But I do think Alabama will find a way to get to force some turnovers and get some stops. Uh, and I think Alabama will win the game and win it comfortably uh, by more than fourteen. I just think it's a uh, it's a matchup where I don't think Oklahoma is that physical. I do think they have a good offensive line, but I also don't think they played anybody close to the University of Alabama. And I'll say this, Georgia's defense was better than I thought, but Alabama, uh, they they faced LSU, they faced Georgia, they faced Mississippi State, and that is the furthest thing from Oklahoma that you'll ever see. I like Alabama uh, somewhere along the lines of probably 62-24, to 24. Uh, but, William, uh, what's your thoughts on the matchup? I just think it's a bad one for Oklahoma. Yeah, I think, um, you know, if you, if you look at the, the two ball games that each team played yesterday, I think certainly Alabama um, has an advantage there because, you know, they got hit in the mouth and responded. Um, it took them a while to respond, but they did. And, you know, so, the, so they've really, I think, are a lot more battle-tested um, both on, on both sides of the football. Now, the Oklahoma offense is going to be a diff, totally different animal than what they faced against Georgia. But still, um, I, I doubt that Oklahoma's offensive line is better than Georgia's. Um, you, you know, I, I thought Georgia's offensive line really answered the bell yesterday. Um, you know, I, I, I admittedly so. I, I can't stand the, the brand of football that they play out there, so I haven't watched Oklahoma um, since the early part of the season, but you know, like like you, you, you y'all both you know kind of piggybacked on their performance last year against Georgia. Um, certainly, I expect them to put up some points, but I, I just don't see um, you know that porous Oklahoma defense um, really being able. To, now, if, if if Alabama goes out there and and you know this may sound a little disingenuous on my part, but yeah, the Georgia defense played well. But, but certainly I, I think you have to factor in, um, you know, to his accuracy issues, even when he had a clean pocket to throw in. You know, the wide receiver drops. Um, you know, the, the offense not really getting into a rhythm. I mean, yeah, if Alabama goes out for the third game in a row and, and looks flat and, and, you know, struggles offensively, um, then maybe it will be a close ball game. But, you know, I expect them with a month's rest, you know, we've all seen how Nick Saban's teams perform when they have a month to prepare. That um, they typically, you know, maybe outside of that Ohio State game in 2014, they they tend to come out of the gate really strong. So, you know, I, I don't really have a feel right now for what the score is going to be, but you know, for Vegas to put a, a two touchdown opening line on it, that tells me what they think right there. So, um, but then again, I thought Alabama was, you know. 14 to 20 points better than Georgia as well. So what do I know? Well, yeah, and I, I do think uh, that uh, we'll have to wait and see how healthy Alabama is. Getting cornbread back is going to be, you know, a huge significance. Uh, and they need, of course, in getting to a tongue of Iloa healthy. Uh, and also, I don't know that he'll be a huge factor in the game, but Alabama could have Terrell Lewis. And having Terrell Lewis as an extra pass rusher that they have no film on would be huge and could help. Uh, the University of Alabama in the game, because they're going to be having to face one of the best athletes in America and Kyler Murray. I mean, unbelievable, uh, you know, talent guy that was the number nine pick in the MLB draft uh, for the Oakland A's and then who's put together such an unbelievable season. It was just an unreal player in Allen, Texas as a high school player. And it is probably going to be his only year starting in college football has put up video game type numbers. So he's going to be hard uh, to ultimately uh, totally stop. But I do think Alabama uh, can get enough, you know, pressure on him and, you know, force him into some mistakes and, and, and I think control the ball with their offense and score. Uh, and, 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 and like I said, uh, defensively make enough stops to win the game comfortably, but it's certainly not going to be easy. And I mean, it may sound like that, uh, with the, with me predicting 60 points, but I just think their defense is so bad. 
Uh, now, again, they're going to have a month to prepare for Alabama, but uh, their their defense has just not been very good all year. Only takes one afternoon, uh, you know, but I just think overall I still like Alabama a lot in the game, especially with a month to prepare. And this team, this team is a special group. I hope uh, they understand what Jalen accomplished, and they've got a chance now to be maybe the best team of all time, be the first team to go 15-0. and 0. Uh, They could, they could have done it two years ago. They, do, they weren't able to do it, but now, and it would be great to do it with Jalen Hurts as a part of it uh, because he, he would have definitely contributed. They wouldn't be here without him and uh, what he did in the SEC championship game, and it was just good to once again kick Kirby Smart's ass, send them home, and make them watch hopefully Alabama celebrate another championship. But first they got to get healthy. Uh, and get ready for the Oklahoma Sooners, no doubt about it. But it's been a, an outstanding show tonight. Uh, we appreciate everybody for listening. I know we our listenership continues uh, to uh, get to grow. We're going to be covering this throughout. Uh, we'll, we'll, we, of course, we'll talk a lot of recruiting next week because the early signing period is going to be upon us uh, within uh, 10 days to a week. And then, of course, we'll continue to talk about Alabama and what we're hearing as far as the coaching carousel and, uh, of course, uh, in their preparations as they get healthier for the start of uh, preparation for the Orange Bowl on December 29th. That game will be at 7 o'clock Central Time, by the way, in primetime TV. And, uh, yeah, so it will be the Oklahoma Sooners in Alabama, 7 o'clock from Miami, Florida. Uh, that's going to be, uh, you know, quite an evening uh, for the college football. And, of course, you know, late, earlier in the afternoon, we will see the other matchup, Notre Dame and Clemson. Uh, from Dallas, Texas, and I like Clemson in that matchup. I, I just don't think Notre Dame matches up well at all with them. Uh, but I think uh, if if Trevor Lawrence plays well and, you know, belies his freshman status, then with their running game and defense, I think we could see Alabama and Clemson playing for a third time for the national championship and a fourth time in the playoff, which would be unprecedented. If they both have to win games first, and Alabama certainly faces a staunch challenge with Oklahoma and this offense. But we wish everybody a great uh, rest of your uh, week next week. We'll come to you next Sunday. But for everyone, enjoy this Alabama SEC championship for a few weeks. And Alabama very soon will be playing in Miami for a shot to play for the national championship on January the 7th on Monday. But good night, everyone. For Thomas Watts, for William Redfish Barger, roll tide and enjoy the rest of your evening.